As a business owner of an aquaculture company, how can you take the first step to be profitable and sustainable at the same time? That's what we're going to be talking about in these episodes. Hello, and welcome to the Business of Aquaculture podcast. This is the podcast for the sustainable business movement in the aqua farming and ocean ranching industries. This podcast aims to amplify the voices of entrepreneurs addressing the United Nations Global Goals, aka Sustainable Development Goals, number 14, to conserve and sustainably use the oceans and the seas. Listen in to fellow business aquaculturists in their journey in this new model of food production of making their business sustainable and help the ocean's ecology while also making a profit all at the same time. Get inspired to learn how even small to medium businesses can make an impact to save the seas, leave a legacy, and have a better quality of life. One of our goals is you take away a nugget of wisdom that will help your business move from the industrial revolution to business 5.0. Our vision is that of collaboration in the aquaculture industry. I'm Lourdes Gant, your host. As the CEO of a nonprofit organization, how do they deliver sustainable improvements for smallholder farmers? That's what we're going to be talking about in today's episode. Welcome to the Business of Aquaculture podcast. This episode, we are happy to have Anton Immink, who is the CEO of thinkaqua.org. Welcome to the show, Anton. Thanks, Lutez. Nice to be here. Pleasure that you're here. Pleasure that you're here. A global aquaculture nonprofit delivering sustainability improvements for enhanced social economic and environmental outcomes, particularly for smallholder farmers in developing countries. As a CEO, he brings international development, environmental improvement, research, project and senior management experience from across Africa, Asia, and Europe with donors, governments, farmers, and supply chains. Welcome again to the show, Anton. I'm excited to have this conversation because I know we've delayed it for quite some time. So I'm happy that it's finally happening. Thank you for being flexible. Welcome again to the show. Lovely to be here. Yeah, thank you. So my first question is, what specific sustainable farming practices or initiatives has ThinkAqua.org implemented in developing countries and what measurable outcomes or success stories you can share as a result of these efforts? Okay, well, that, that could be quite a large answer. I'll try and narrow it down to two or three key things. But um, So a, a key mode of operation for Think Aqua is working with local partners. So um, I think if I highlighted our work in Indonesia at the moment that's going on, you know, we're very focused in Indonesia on improvements in the shrimp sector, recognising that you know, there are there are both practical challenges and reputational risks to for the shrimp industry, you know, where it's developed in mangrove areas, and um, where there are concerns about human rights, where there have been concerns about water quality, for example. Um, so we're working with a local partner, uh, Yayasan Synergy Aquaculture Indonesia, um, to um, develop, uh, to pilot, test the Aquaculture Stewardship Council's Aquaculture Improvement Project model. So we're doing that with a handful of farms to get them on a trajectory to towards certification. And typically those farms are smaller scale, so they haven't necessarily been um, in that sphere of certification up till now because that's tended to be larger farmers. Um, a key thing is addressing 
the wastewater treatment, so ensuring that farms put in place um, wastewater treatment ponds and looking at that across the whole kind of landscape of producers as well. Another project that we're doing in Indonesia similarly is with, uh, with Conservation International, and that's had some funding from the Walmart Foundation. And that is also looking at kind of issues around water quality management, disease management at a landscape level as well. Um, and that mix of improvements of what farms can do individually, so being more responsible for how they manage disease or water quality, but also what the government can do in terms of you know, supporting perhaps smallholders with, with um, common um, infrastructure development uh, to, to tackle for, for water supplies or wastewater flows out to the sea. Um, for uh, dealing with disease problems, you know, if individual farmers test, they've also then got to um, have somebody with some oversight of where disease risks are spreading. We're working with a feed company in Nepal on scaling small-scale carp production, um, trying to prof professionalise these farmers. Um, we're also working in, in Kenya and Uganda on scaling small-scale tilapia pond production. Uh, we've worked with a, a great partner organization, um, RAD in Uganda, who piloted this kind of, uh, hub and cluster model, where a small-scale hub farm that really understands the challenges of smallholder neighboring farms can, can help consolidate access to inputs, um, can share technical knowledge, but most importantly, really help to develop local markets for these aquaculture products and get aquaculture products regularly into small rural markets so that people get used to availability of fish, that they know where to buy it, that it's going to be available every time they go to the market, rather than these kind of sporadic ups and downs in supply. And that can really help um, nutrition of local community households as well. I really love what you're saying there because it's very holistic. Well, first you started with partnership. I think that's really a good starting off point. I know I always talked about now about being in aquaculture, people focuses on the UN SDG number 14, which is life below water. But now it's very crucial that we have number 17, as you know, is partnership for the goals. And which leads me to my second question, because your, your organization obviously collaborate with local communities and farmers to ensure that sustainable farming practices are culturally and economically relevant. So what challenges have you encountered in building these partnerships? Um, yeah, I think recognizing the skills of these local organizations. You know, very often these local organizations have have been working very closely with communities, but aren't necessarily filled with the capacity or the scale to, to attract the funds that can really help drive change. Um, so that's one of the key reasons that we look to develop these partnerships. But then we have to align missions as well. Yeah. Um, so I think generally, well, I, I guess obviously perhaps with the, the partners that we're working with, things have gone pretty smoothly. Um, we have had to you know, ensure that we have that alignment. Sometimes we've come with funding and then we've looked for a local partner. And a, a few times we've had local partners who have some funding already and, and they'd like to bring our knowledge and expertise in. So 
I think just that common mission. But I think more broadly than just the partnership with 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 um, NGOs and, and other local actors, there is that kind of partnership with the farmers as well. And that's that's often a bit harder. That's about building trust, right? Who am I to come in or, or one of my colleagues or one of our partners from the NGOs to come in and suggest, oh, this would be the great new way to do something, you know, or, or you really need to install a wastewater treatment pond or you could do with testing those shrimp for disease a bit more often just so that you're aware of problems are arising. And it's that it's really that trust relationship that takes the time and, and convincing people that, you know, it might be a good idea, whatever it is that you're suggesting. I really like that because, as you know, when we did our September Aqua Connect conference, that was one of the future trends that I was talking about is this decade of distrust because of the technology that we have now. There's so much technology, high technology, not high touch. And that obviously declined the trust because there's not much interaction. Like even with Zoom, you know, there's a filter right off the bat, right? So it's very important in this industry. I was telling some of my partners before, some of the foundational relationship I have was from the kitchen table of people that I have six hour hot pots with. It's not it's not like a 10 minute conversation or what have you. So which leads me to my next question. So in the context of limited resources and complex challenges of developing countries, which you are focusing on, what long term strategies does your nonprofit employ to ensure the sustainability and scalability of farming initiatives? At the start of the intro that you gave us, you, you touched on that kind of triple bottom line, right? the, um, the environmental, the social, the economic outcomes. Right? Uh, and I think as, as nonprofits, very often you know, people look at us and think that we're, we're really focused perhaps on the environmental side or just the social side. But I've always been a very strong advocate that we need to realise that aquaculture is a business. right? Digging community ponds, for example, you know, potentially has its place. But but if you actually want some productive outcome from, from those ponds, it's got to be a business. It's got to have somebody who's entrepreneurial, who's who's got a bit of vision, who wants to run it. So so you know, we, we we work across those that, that triple bottom line. And, and in some places, we're very much looking at improvements to to aquaculture industries. And to address environmental issues or, or sometimes social issues. But in terms of, I think, an area where we're really innovating, if I go back to, to um, the Uganda example, is that engagement with, with hubs and clusters of, of smallholder farmers. And that, that model is not just about holding the hands of, of small-scale farmers and, and hoping that they make a, a little bit more money or, or that they're you know, their livelihood is a little bit better. And then we go and ask for some more grant funding to go and work with the next group of farmers. You know, what we want to do is build, and, and I believe we have, uh, an, an, a model to do that that is economically independent. Right? If we can, we can build these small hubs and clusters and support them, and of course, like any business, it would need some pump priming. You know, if anybody's out there wanting to give us a little bit of money, then we're very open to that idea. But that model can then become very quickly self-replicating and we, we can hopefully scale across, particularly in East Africa, the, the 
the ambition of reaching you know, thousands of farmers who otherwise cannot readily access services. It's expensive and difficult to distribute the inputs that are needed by farmers in these rural areas of East Africa and, and expensive and challenging very often to get regular supplies of fish into the market. It's fascinating you were saying that and as, as you were saying about being economically valuable, you know what popped up in my head was pun intended, teach a man how to fish. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for sharing that. So um, one last question before I let you go. Um, what is kind of the method that you guys do in terms of when you, maybe you can run me through the process in terms of, okay, you have partner and then you kind of match them with the farmer that you wanted to help. How does that whole, I guess, is screening? Do you do some screening in terms of which, quali which one is qualified and which are not? Um, wow, that's an interesting question. Um, right, okay. Um, if I think about... An example in, in Indonesia, right? we, we've, we've worked with um, a group of farmers, several, several groups of farmers, uh, shrimp farmers, and understood very much their challenges, their problems. You know, in the background, kind of recognizing we had an ambition to uh, address environmental issues or disease management issues. You know. And then once they've kind of, once we understand the, the problems in a bit more detail, well, what solutions can we bring? So in actually in two or three different cases now, also in Thailand, I would say we worked a few years ago with shrimp farmers as well. Um, and we, we sometimes we put out to tender for, for solution providers. Other times it may be people we've had experience with as well. But um, we have then presented farmers with perhaps two or three different options, two or three different solutions. Um, and, and tested them with different groups of farmers, learned lessons to see which ones work most effectively. So, so in, in with shrimp producers in Indonesia, we've worked with Jala um, as a tech provider. Um, we've worked a little bit with eFishery as well. Um, and um, in, in, in Thailand, um, we worked with FAI Farms, which is a company who's looking to develop solutions for um, welfare, improved welfare outcomes for shrimp as well. They've got training programs. Um, so basically, again, I guess it comes back to that kind of experience and trust. You know, we, we can, we can, of course, learn about new technologies, lots of exciting companies out there. Um, you know, we've worked also with Expert C, I should highlight as a, as a Canadian company. Um, then, um, you know, we, we trial with farmers and, and see what works best in different situations. You know, so so I'm, I'm sure the companies won't mind me saying, but for some of them, they, they continue to recognize that working with smallholder farmers is very challenging. You know, you've got to think differently. You've got to explore different business models and, and ways of engaging smallholder farmers. Um, you know, and, and for some companies, that's really challenging when they're in the startup phase because it's it's not a cheap thing to do. You know, people look at these numbers of farmers around the world and there are tens, hundreds of thousands, millions of farmers. Oh, we'll be able to reach them all. You know, but actually reaching those smallholders becomes quite expensive and you need some kind of intermediary or a different kind of approach. Um, so definitely challenging. It's trust um, up and down that, that supply chain. Um, 
but I think some companies have, have really shown commitment to want to see how that can work. And I think some of them I listed there. Sounds amazing. So my biggest takeaway from our conversation today, or there's a lot, but the one that really um, kind of landed for me is alignment in mission. You're talking a lot of different countries and uh, trust and partnerships, but I guess at the end of the day, if even sometimes there's alignment of mission, but there's no trust, then it really doesn't really boil down to anything much. So thank you again for being on the show, Anton. Um, how can they get in touch with you? Um, if anybody wants to get in touch, you can, of course, check out the website, thinkaqua.org. Um, you can also email info at thinkaqua.org. And you'll find us on LinkedIn. We have a quarterly newsletter. So feel free to sign up for that and, and hear more about the, the projects we're doing and the impact we're having around the world. Thank you once again. And for those of you who doesn't know, um, thinkaqua.org is part of our sustainable aquaculture mastermind. So you'll hear a lot more in the next two months of the event that we're launching next. But I'll see you all next week. Remember, you help build a home in the Philippines every time we launch an episode on the podcast. Thanks, Anton. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Lopez. Bye. Thank you for listening. And I hope you are inspired from this episode. Do take a moment and share this with your friends and colleagues and rate and review the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'd love to know what your biggest takeaway from this conversation has been. What are you going to do differently? Please share your thoughts across social media and tag us. For links and show notes for this episode, visit our website www.sustainableaquaculture.ca slash podcast. Thank you again. I hope you will join me on the next episode and together we can help create a better business in aquaculture.